Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. It took 33 years, but an amateur has finally won on the PJ Tour. That's about the only headline, Rex, from the past week. That could have overshadowed another victory by Roy McIlroy. We will get into all things Nick Dunlap in this here podcast. But first, Rex, you are clearly not in Longwood. Uh, you're in a place about 40 degrees colder, but no less hospitable. What are you up to this week? 18 degrees when I got in my car this morning. I'm in Connecticut, actually staying in Greenwich. NBC Sports' headquarters are in Stanford, which is just up the road. And if you look around, this is their grand meeting room. I'm not even quite sure what you would call it, but there's kind of a, a stage right there. And you probably won't be able to hear it, but there's three uh, individuals who are just outside the door here. I'm going to slide the camera for the visual audience. Not sure if you guys can see that. Shoveling snow. That's right, folks. Shoveling snow. Right? We talk about golf and the Coachella Valley and Dubai and Lake Nona and all the other beautiful places in the world. Here I am at the garden spot. Uh, you got lucky in that this could have been a very dry two hours a day for the next five days. Instead, you have an absolute content bonanza, uh, capped, of course, by Nick Dunlap, the amateur, uh, becomes the eighth amateur ever to win uh, on the PGA Tour, the first since Phil in 1991. Pretty heady company, because Nick Dunlap, if you're unfamiliar with him, 20-year-old sophomore from Alabama, became the first player since Tiger Woods to win both the U.S. Junior and the U.S. Amateur. And now he ticks off an accomplishment that was last done by Phil. Uh, Rex, you watched it from your uh, uh, posh hotel room in Greenwich, Connecticut. What did you make on a micro level of what we saw from Nick Dunlap? We'll certainly get into the macro uh, complications moving forward. On a personal level, uh, the ADD kicked in because I was trying to do the two screen thing. Because there was also, in case you didn't know, there was football going on at the same time. It was too much. I got overwhelmed, had to turn the football off going to go ahead and admit it throw it out there I, I checked the highlights later to see what happened because i needed to focus on the golf because it was really amazing to me it was fun i talked to nick's uh sports psychologist who's uh, dr brett mccabe from alabama and this morning about it and his comment to me was when nick made the double bogey on seven to fall out of the lead he goes you guys probably wrote him off and i said no actually that's not the case i wrote him off after he made a par on the 11th which is par five most guys were birding the hole and i thought okay it's been a fun run but it looked like sam burns was doing sam burns things and he was going to go on to win it if not justin Lin i mean justin leonard justin thomas seemed like he was making a bit of a run i, I just thought that there was so many other things going on that eventually the 20-year-old college sophomore 
would become a 20-year-old college sophomore. And that simply didn't happen. It was an amazing sort of walk. I, I said this morning, and again, just watching it and trying to you know dissect, as you pointed out from a macro level, like when did I see him get nervous for the first time? And visually, I thought it was when he was walking from his approach shot on 18 to the green on 18. Because if you notice, Justin Thomas was right behind him. And he tried to make a little bit of small talk. I think the, the question was, is that not, the not the time, not the time, not the time. And he, I think the question was, Oh, is that the first time you hit a spectator? And I don't even think Nick answered him. He kind of turned around and oh, he, did. he actually, he actually had a great answer. He said, he thinks he brained just about everybody when he played the U S open. He played, he played so poorly. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that, but it, it was clearly not the time. Like, well, I don't want to do small talk right now, JT. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I need to focus on what's happening. It, it was, and look, you were just on golf today and, and we had a really good conversation about this. You covered him for in college. Uh, we had a chance to talk to Steve Bukowski, who has covered him in college. I, I thought the most fascinating thing I heard this morning came from you saying that even if you look among today's college stars, he is a really, really good player. Won twice at Alabama. He clearly has a bright future, but he's probably not the one you would point to and be like, yep, he can win on the PGA Tour right now. I think that's a testament to college golf, is it not? Yeah, it definitely is. And I wanted to start this podcast by getting into the micro because it's I think it's so important to celebrate what we actually saw on Sunday before we go into the uh, projections for what it means going forward, how many majors he's going to win, if he should turn pro. We just got the news handed out by the PGA Tour that he has withdrawn from this year's Farmers Insurance Open, this week's Farmers Insurance Open. He was due to play that on a sponsor exemption anyway. Instead, he's going back home to Alabama to spend time. Uh, much much deserved well time off with his friends and his family. But I, I think you touched on it from what we saw Sunday at PGA West. So he began the day with a three-shot lead. Uh, pretty uh, heady, heady company uh, in the final group with him, whether it's Sam Burns, a five-time uh, tour winner, had just played the Ryder Cup, Justin Thomas, uh, Alabama boy, one of the best players of his generation. And you kept waiting for Nick Dunlap to blink. You mentioned the water ball. On seven, you mentioned the kind of the, the clanky chip shot on 11 ended up settling for par. He missed putts inside birdie putts inside seven feet on both 13 and 15. And yet the player who faltered late Sunday at PGA West was not this 20 year old sophomore. It was Sam Burns, Sam Burns with the unforgivable sin on 17 to hit in the water on Alcatraz and then overcompensates on 18 and does it again double-double to finish to blow himself out of the tournament. Time and time again, Nick Dunlap showed that he had the goods. Immediately after that double on seven that put him into a share of the lead, he follows it up with a birdie. He matched Sam Birdie's birdie uh, on 14. He was the only player of the group who got up and down on 16, and I thought it was a, kind of a, an underrated, crucial moment getting the honor back on 17, hitting the ball first onto that very difficult par three, uh, applying all the pressure on Burns, uh, who then was not up to the fight. I thought it was, I think, given the circumstances, given the immediate uh, competition in his group, given the historical stakes that he was uh, competing against and competing for, like he, he authored one of the most in, incredible performances you could ever possibly fathom or, or imagine. Like it, it was, it was that good Sunday on a, on a micro level. Do you agree? No. And I like the fact you wanted to start with the micro. Cause I do think there's something to be said for 
not just his performance, but how he handled himself. And again, this goes back to the conversation we had on Golf Today with Dr. McCabe, just about the idea. And I think my question was, so many college players, and you know this much better than I do, show up on the PGA Tour now as fully formed adults, for lack of a better term. They're going to get better. I mean, all pro golfers get better, but they show up, as we saw from Nick Dunlap, with all the tools they need in the box. Like, if you want to just show up and, and take all the emotion out of it, then he can hit every shot, every putt, every drive that he needs to hit in a PGA Tour event to go on to win. The difficult part is how you handle yourself in that situation. You're right. I was taken by the idea that Nick, the 20-year-old sophomore we keep falling back on, he performed like the guy who'd won five times on the PGA Tour. While the guy who won five times on the PGA Tour looked more like the amateur coming down the stretch. So it's amazing to me how he was able to compartmentalize looking back when you sort of want to dissect and, again, as you say, get into the micro. The one time that he wasn't nervous was over the six-footer on the 72nd hole. I don't understand that. Like, I can't process that how is that possible to me that would have been the time that everything caught up with him and manifested itself the most and i was thinking and when he kind of blew it out to the right his approach shot out to the right needed to get up and down i was thinking man like man this is where things get a little dicey like this is you dream about this your entire life and you can't sort of hide from the moment any longer you can do a good job of sticking to all the cliches and staying in the moment and doing your job which by the way having nick saban on the telecast i don't know about you but it felt like a ted talk uh, about halfway through that conversation i either wanted to go play offensive line for the university of alabama which clearly i'm not qualified to do or go play in a pga tour event again not qualified to do but it was a very inspiring talk i, I think just the idea that he was never sort of ratcheted out of that shell and when the pressure was the highest on the 72nd green with six feet between you and really history that you didn't blink and that's when you felt the calmest a putt he has made hundreds, if not thousands of times, left center and poured it absolutely in the heart of the cup. Just an unbelievable performance. Showed everything that you did. I mean, the, the kid has all, all the tools. He's he's athletic. He's tall and lean. He's got the ball speed with the driver, 185. He hit uh, some incredibly precise iron shots coming down the stretch, kissed one off the flag, uh, laid on the back nine too. And then, uh, as some of his teammates have said, and a couple of college coaches have texted me this morning. Uh, he's the best putter I've ever seen. Uh, so it's pretty clear that this guy has all the tools. Now, the college coaches who have texted me, uh, some of the players I've heard from this morning, they're also, uh, Rex, they, they also have a, a very familiar question, which is where's the pro announcement? Everyone in the world thinks Nick Dunlap is going to turn pro. Uh, per PGA Tour regulations, he was not able to collect the $1.6 million first place check for winning the Amex. Honestly, I'm not all that tied up about that. If his sponsors wanted to do that, if the Alabama boosters want to do that through the NIL, this kid could have tens of millions of dollars deposited in his bank account right now. Trust me, he is going to be quite all right with money. But it is, Rex, an interesting conundrum that he now finds himself in. And I said it on golf today during our hit. But on Wednesday night, on the eve of the American Express, there is no world in which Nick Dunlap thought that this was going to be his final week as a student athlete, as an amateur golfer. Instead, what happened is a, a history. He's now a history-making sensation on the PGA Tour, and his entire life is turned upside down. I kind of laid out the pros and the cons of whether he should stay or go uh, on GolfChannel.com in my last Monday scramble item. Uh, I hope you guys. We'll check it out. But if you were, Rex, if, if, if you were advising Nick Dunlap 
on what he should do, what would you tell? Rest in power. Monday scramble. Are we going to touch on that real quick? Your last Monday scramble because we're going to start doing what? Uh, we're going to start doing a podcast on Sunday evening, 15. just like every other podcast in the world. There's a reason why everyone records on Sunday night because it can be uh, available for you guys where you can get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, whatever for your commute on Monday morning. Rex and I will start to do that moving forward. This week is the first week. And as well as well, we will also have a preview podcast. So usually on sometime around Wednesday afternoon, I think is what we're going for. So that would have been how we kind of professionally sort of, you know, promote to that. But ne never mind. Moving on. I, uh, I will say that's one of your hotter takes that I've ever heard. And I was a little surprised <laughs> to get it from you on God today. And I'm glad I'm the one that had the follow up question because I was going straight to Todd Lewis, who was on the roundtable with you, because I knew he was going to come at it, come at it from a different angle. You actually took the take and I'll give you credit because I feel like. There was part, at least part of you that believed that what you were saying, you that you, you truly wholeheartedly believe that he should stay at Alabama. And part of that equation is what you just pointed out. In the age of NIL, it's not as though he's probably leaving much money on the table, if we're being honest. I, I think the part you're sort of glossing over and forgetting, and we kind of had this conversation off air when, after you'd made the comment, is – he doesn't have a lot of runway to make this decision. If he's going to do it, he needs to do it now and maximize his potential. And by that, I mean, if he does it now, he gets into all the signature events this season, including next week at Pebble Beach. And so why wouldn't you, why would you take six weeks or two months or whatever the case may be to decide if you're going to do this or not? And you're never going to have a better opportunity than this. Like, sure, you'll have opportunities in the future, but I don't know that there's ever been a player in this situation. But I'll take that back, probably going back to Phil Mickelson, and that was a much different age. We didn't have signature events back then. I don't know how you can make an argument with a straight face that he should actually go back to Tuscaloosa. Oh, I made that argument. You did. I don't know how you face. did it with a straight face. And I actually believe it. I, I did couch it, I believe, by saying this is probably an unpopular opinion and that most people would think he's it an was. idiot for going back we do. to school. I always think, Rex, of like LPGAQ school uh, for at least the, the past decade or two. If, if, you, if you sign up for that and you play it as an amateur, it's like gun to your head as soon as you finish. Like, hey, you need to, you, you need, you need to play uh, and turn professional right now. Like your college days are over. If you want to play on the LPGA, if you want to accept this membership, you have to do so right now. And it was always like a, a sticking point. But at least players entered that week knowing that that was the possibility. If you're an elite college player and you signed up for that, you're probably like, yeah, I can, I can get through here. I've, I've said my goodbyes. If I, if I play well, I've got things in order. I've got an agent. I know where I could potentially be getting starts, so on and so forth. This is a completely unforeseen circumstance where in the course of five days, I would even say, yes, un unprecedented. Nick Dunlap has, his life has turned around on the eve of the final round where he has a three shot lead. At Amex, he's asked what he's going to do. He said, I'm going to hang out with my girlfriend a little bit, and I'm going to figure out how to do laundry. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how you, you do two weeks on tour when it comes to laundry and, and getting through. Like There are so much bigger and weightier concerns that Nick Dunlap is going to have than how to do laundry when on the road uh, for an extended period of time uh, on the PJ Tour. I, I just think, and look, I get it. The case to turn pro is very obvious. He's now set up. Through 2026, he's got invitations in the first three majors. He potentially even qualify uh, for the year's final major in the Open 
uh, now that he's 68th uh, in the world rankings. I get it. He can go into the signature event series uh, and set him himself that way. He clearly has the game. However, however, Rex, I would just caution that this is all happening pretty quickly, right? His life just turned upside down. He has an agent already, uh, Kevin Canning of GSC, but there is no way that those two had planned to turn pro at this juncture. And so there is still the potential because his PGA Tour status is not going anywhere. He can still accept PGA Tour membership uh, uh, up until 30 days after the current season ends. He's already in the first three majors because of the U.S. Amateur victory. Why not, is my argument, why not go back to school, get your life in order, enjoy being a very famous college kid in a really fun college town and try and tick off a couple more uh, amateur accomplishments, whether it's becoming world number one, which he's never been before, whether it's winning an NCAA title with his Crimson Tide teammates, which he wants to do in his second season at Alabama. The PGA Tour is not going anywhere. That's why this is kind of an unprecedented situation. He has status through 2026. He can be in the signature events as soon as he turns pro in early June, if he sticks it out for the remainder of his sophomore season. I, I just think it's so much so soon. Why not lay the foundation? Why not hit the brakes and then be ready to take on the world? Everything, all systems go in, in early June. I don't, I don't see, I don't see the drawback. Well, uh, well, you say he would still be in all the signature events. I just think there's two signature events after he would turn pro and that would be the U S open and the open championship. Am I not right? Correct. Um, because he wouldn't be in the playoffs, so those wouldn't count. He'd be in Memorial, and he'd be in the Travelers. All right. And then he could um, – I'm sure he'd be getting a bunch of sponsor exemptions as well. He wouldn't – he would not, not be in – signature events necessarily because those are your – Right. For, yeah, so right. you can't – But he, but he wouldn't count. be exempt – but he wouldn't be exempt uh, into the FedEx Cup playoffs, which I believe is the Akshay Batia rule from mm-hmm. last year, Correct. Correct. And so when you say he would be in all the other signature events, you're only down to four signature events at that point. And so you've pretty much you've let the season pass you by. I get what you're saying. And I guess the argument is, what's the rush? The rush is he's not guaranteed to be in any signature events next year when he does take that tour card or the year after that. And I think anyone I mean, we talked at length about this, about if you were going to play well on the PGA Tour, 2023 was the golden ticket. That's the year you wanted to play well because of everything it means for this year and the fact, and again, we've we've touched on this quite often, it's sort of going to become something of a closed shop. I think you and I are of the, the same mindset when it comes to that. It's going to get harder and harder to play your way in, and it's going to become more difficult for you to play your way out of that magical top 50 number and those signature events. You have an opportunity here where there has just been one signature event played so far this season to make a decision that gets you into all the rest of them. That's only going to set the stage better for 2025, 26, 27, and the rest of your career. I don't know what you think he's going to organize back in Tuscaloosa that's going to make him a better professional golfer than what he is right now. I think our colleague Todd Lewis offended uh, uh, car salesmen <laughs> all around the world during our Golf Today hit when he made a snarky comment about, well, he's not at Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa learning how to sell cars. Maybe not. Seems a little bit harsh, but I get where he's coming from. He's there to become, to become a professional golfer. You may not like me saying this, but college golf is essentially just the minor leagues for professional golf. I mean, that's really what we're at, and we're 
because we're there, we end up with great stories like what we saw on Sunday at the American Express that, as I pointed out, these players who have been touched by the hand of God, the ones who can go out and have all the physical traits and suddenly show up on tour as fully formed adults, they can make the jump. That's the whole point of what he's been doing. Why would you delay that? I'm not saying I think he will. I, I, I especially think now that he's withdrawn from Torrey Pines, maybe a, maybe a week is enough to get settled, to say your goodbyes, to make sure all your boxes are checked, uh, to make sure you have a home base set up, to make sure uh, the, the money's flowing in the direction that you want it to. And then he can make his big debut next week at a tournament you're going to be at at Pebble, the second signature event of the season. But how about also he'll be in the Players' Championship and the remainder of the signature events, at least until uh, he would potentially turn pro after the NCAA championship. Yes, I agree. That's the most likely. I just don't necessarily see the rush. And if he is as ambitious of a player and wants to kind of get through uh, some of these and kind of tick off these boxes in amateur golf, I don't see the harm in doing so. Again, it seems incredibly unlikely that he would be playing with his Crimson Tide teammates at, at the C-best intercollegiate instead of playing the player's championship. Uh, but crazier things have happened. I, I do think now the fact that he's withdrawn from the farmers that may provide him the runway to do so. Otherwise uh, it would definitely be a little bit too much too soon. Now I'm, and I'm going to say this, I think the story was last week and I don't remember who it was, but there is a tight end at the university of Miami who just received a ninth year of eligibility yeah. <laughs> to play. And from my perspective as a 56 year old, I'm like, yeah, man, I would have liked to have stayed in college and, gotten paid NIL money and played football and had a good time for nine years. I don't know anyone that wouldn't want that. That being said, I only wanted that because I didn't want the rest of my life to start at that point. We keep wanting to push it back. I don't think Nick Dunlap is in that category. You're probably safe. How about Rex on the macro level? And there's been all sorts of utterances over the past 24 hours. Like, did you see this coming? And in some respects, you kind of could. I mean, you can... You could take any event over the past, let's call it decade, and there has been some sort of amateur uh, flash. You know, if you think of Patrick Cantley shooting 60 at the Travelers, how about John Rahm, uh, you know, wearing that ASU jersey at the Phoenix Open? Kyle Morikawa lost in a playoff as an amateur in a Corn Ferry Tour event. Harris English won before he turned pro on the KFT as well. Like, we've had enough examples. Michael Thorne Bjornsson, Jared Dutois, uh, Braden Thornberry, uh, Paul Dunn uh, was the co-leader through 54 holes at the 2015 Open Championship. Like, there's been enough evidence to suggest like these amateurs are rapidly improving and they're getting closer uh, to kind of breaking down that door and winning on the PGA Tour. Why do you think it has finally happened at this point? Is this is this because Nick Dunlap is so special? or because the environment is now ripe and conducive uh, for younger players? Uh, well, I think Nick Dunlap is very, very special. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and I would have never have seen it coming with him. As I'm doing my research for the show this morning, I realized that he won twice at Alabama. It's no small feat, and good for him. Like, you're going up against really, really good SEC competition, but there's probably players in the NCAA right now and in, in college golf who have won more than twice that you would think, oh, they probably have a, a better opportunity to answer your question. I think is it has less to do with Nick Dunlap than it does just how much better college golf is, especially top 
level college golf programs. And you're talking about the Alabamas and the Georgia Tech and the Wake Forests of the world. Sorry, Georgia. Oof, I know that would have come back. And sorry about that. Hacker. How, how much better they have gotten preparing players for the next level. Like they've always been really, really good at sort of preparing players to compete against NCAA caliber talent. But I think we've moved beyond that so far. Beyond that, when you hear sort of the tale of Nick Dunlap going back to his early days in Alabama and wanting to be around the best players in the world and just wanting to compete. And he was something of a bit of a range rat. All of those things factor into this. I think they're just better now. I, I can't say that I saw it coming. Like I'm sure you did because you follow the amateur game better than I do. I don't even know if you heard it. I gave you the ultimate salute on golf today after you got oh, I heard it. it. And I, because I, I completely rolled my eyes, like I could not throw enough rolly eye emojis up. I think it was about six months ago when you threw the, oh, Obear is going to be on the European Ryder Cup team. And I'm like, oh, here he goes again. Because you say it every year about someone's going to end up on the president's or Ryder Cup team. And I'm like, they're still in college. Like, just let them turn pro. Like, let them put the books away and stop taking exams before we elevate them to world-class players. In this particular case, you saw it coming. Like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll call it out. Like, man, I, I would not have think, thought at that situation against those two players. I mean, it, I don't want to gloss over this. You had two Ryder Cuppers going head-to-head, Justin Thomas and Sam Burns. Those guys can play a little bit. To do it head-to-head in that situation, there's no doubt he's ready. And I think the I think the wild part, Rex, is that and this is not to diminish the accomplishment or the talent of Nick Dunlap. But if you if you remove Nick Dunlap from the situation and plugged in three to five other college studs or these amateur names that have become so familiar over the past year, it probably wouldn't surprise you if those players did this as well. Whether it's Gordon Sargent, uh, who was turning heads uh, at Augusta this year, Michael Fjorn Bjornsson, who's already finished fourth. In a PG Tour event, that was at the 2022 Travelers Championship. Like he literally, this past week, finished 11th as a Stanford senior in Dubai in one of his first tournaments in four or five months after a back issue. Uh, Caleb Surratt, uh, obviously, has now been tied uh, to live golf in John Rom's team. Ben James won five times as a freshman at Virginia. Like the best player right now in junior golf, the one who's got everyone uh, clamoring and salivating at his potential is a 15-year-old. It's a 15-year-old by the name of Miles Russell. The kid is a star. And so you look at what junior golf has done through the AJGA. You look at what college golf has done. I think you just look at the landscape of amateur golf in general. Like the equipment has been optimized in a way that, that levels the playing field. You look at the golf instruction that these guys are receiving at such a young age. It's become way more sophisticated uh, post-Tiger boom. Obviously, we know that that fitness has been prioritized. And I think just college golf in general, if you look at an Alabama or Georgia or Vanderbilt, their schedule, they're playing the best competition every time they tee it up on championship venues with setups uh, by the setup staff there that is exacting and is penal. And so when they get to a, a U.S. Open or they get to your kind of run of the mill PJ Tour event, or they play on the Corn Ferry Tour right away after getting through through PGA Tour U. Like they are ready to go. Whether it's Ludwig Obert, whether it's Adrian Dumont de Chassart, the Illinois kid uh, who almost immediately got his PGA Tour card through the KFT. College golf has become the great preparer for all these guys, and I think this is just another byproduct of that. That's again, that's not to say that Nick Dunlap. Is, is is not a special talent. I think it's been proven his his championship pedigree 
is is almost unmatched. But if anything, his breakthrough in the desert is just going to embolden even more of these young guys to take advantage of the opportunities that they're that they're bound to get. Well, and this goes back to our previous conversation. These guys aren't in college to learn how to sell cars. To borrow our, our friend Todd Lewis's line here, they're in college to learn how to become professional golfers. And I'm not diminishing that, dismi- dismissing the education they're getting or why they're there to be with their teams and maybe win championships. But individually, and golf is a very individual sport, it's always going to come down to how can I become a better golfer? And it's no different than any other sport. You have five-star athletes showing up at every campus wanting to get to the next level. And that's the case here. I just think the system has gotten so much better. You see it better than I do. But you can, you can look at the level of talent. And as I've, I've said a couple of times now, they're just fully formed when they showed up. Like, I mean, early in my career, I'm going to age myself. You did not expect a player to immediately go from college to the PGA tour. It was always going to be a process. It's not that anymore. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the peak for a professional golfer was always early to mid thirties. Now we've probably shifted that. At least if you look at the top 10, the world rankings, it looks like the peak is kind of 27 to, to 31 ish. So we moved to half decade up. I would imagine a decade from now, uh, you're even ticking a few years ahead of that. Just an absolutely unbelievable story uh, with Nick Dunlap. We have uh, obviously talked. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Tons more on golftail.com, wherever you get your news. I can't believe, Rex, we went 28 minutes without mentioning a Roy McElroy victory a year after we kind of skewered him for botching the end of this Dubai invitational with either the three putt from two feet. You said feet, a year, a week after. A week after, excuse me. Uh, the, the three putt from two feet on the back nine and the rope hook into the water on 18. What did you see from Rory and what does it mean for the rest of his 2024 now that he won his fourth Dubai Desert Classic? I mean, yeah, he seems to own this place. So I don't know that we should have been surprised at all, even given what happened last week. And I think both of us were, along with Rory, really quick to dismiss what happened last week. I, I just think that that was, I don't want to call it a silly season event, but he clearly had some things he wanted to work on. He wanted to it work his way. I think my line last week was, I'm not worried about the state of Rory's game the first week of January or the second week of January. I'm certainly not worried about the state of his game the third week of January. Again, there's only a couple of weeks that I'm worried about the state of his game, and those start in April. So I think from Rory's perspective, 
I don't know how much better he is prepared to sort of end that. We, we, we have turned this into a cliche. It's been 10 years. It's been a decade since he won a major championship. How does he turn this into a major championship? Well, there's nothing that he can really use here to turn it into a major. I will say some of the things I saw last week coming off of that runner-up finish the week before were impressive. Like he was a little sloppy off the tee last week, as opposed to where he was at at the Dubai desert classic. He seemed to have a little bit more focus, especially coming down the stretch. It was not and he, I think he was two under par. It was not an easy day to play golf. So all of those things he can learn from, but look, we're, we're still two months away from me being concerned one way or the other for the state of his game. I like the fact I mentioned this during our golf today hit. I like the fact that he's already knocked off uh, two tournament starts this year, uh, kind of getting his game in order. He's obviously coming uh, back across the pond and we're playing Pebble Beach next week, the second signature event of the PGA Tour schedule and kind of gearing up for the Masters that way. He talked to, I believe it was John Huggin, uh, ahead of the Dubai Invitational, his season debut, and he said for the first time he's actually going to be playing more heading in to the year's first major. And, and you, you and I have kind of had fun on this podcast about it, that he's tried virtually everything to kind of break the streak at Augusta. He's tried playing more. He's tried playing less. He's tried uh, met self. Uh, he's tried uh, meditating. He tried putting his phone away. He's tried uh, diving into the news. He tried playing the week before. He's tried taking time off, heading into. He's literally tried everything. But now, now he says he's going to be playing nine or ten times heading into the Masters, as opposed to his usual six or seven. I actually really like that. We've been spoiled for so long by Tiger Woods who just said he was going to try to peak for the majors. And more often than not, he could. That's an incredibly delicate thing to do. That's an incredibly delicate thing, thing to do to strike the balance between rest and recovery and preparation and sharpness. I would much rather bank on a guy who has the tournament reps under his belt and who has seen things and who is now entering major season kind of maintaining as opposed to still trying to progress. So I think that's a really positive development when it comes to Rory, where if he can get his game exactly where he wants it in March, I like his chances to kind of knock off that first major as opposed to always building towards something. Does that make sense? It it does twofold. I think first and foremost, we need to point out that he's probably playing more this year just out of necessity because we have signature events. He wouldn't have necessarily flown all the way back to the other side of the globe to play Pebble Beach next week. But it's a signature event being the fact that he was an architect of where we are on the PGA Tour, it would probably not be a great look for him to miss not just the first signature event of the season, which was the century two weeks ago, but then Pebble Beach. So he was his hands were he forfeited. He forfeited three million dollars when last year when the RBC Heritage was a mandatory designated event. Again, I think this is part of this is certainly by necessity. Like he can't be missing the first two when you're the one that came up with this system that's been widely criticized by the rank and file on the PGA Tour. So I, before I give, before I give him complete credit. On that front, I'll also say that I go back to last year when he finished runner-up at the match play event in Austin leading up to the Masters. And hearing him talk about he felt like everything was in perfect place, I don't think there's a magic formula. There clearly was for Tiger Woods, and he is clearly going to be the example we always point at. I don't think it's fair. Like, we make it sound so easy that, oh, you just have to play your best golf four weeks out of the year. It's like you're just rolling the dice at some point. Yes, you want to show up every day, but you, your body feels different. You're, you're going to different golf courses. You're playing in different environments. You're playing off of different grasses. All of these things factor into it. Yeah, it's great that he got an early season victory. And it's certainly going to make the rest of the season be a little bit easier 
because now you can sort of play your way into it. If you don't have your best stuff at Pebble Beach, it's all right. I keep moving towards Riviera and beyond that, but you can't read anything into it now. I do think it is important to get the ball rolling for 2024. Certainly a good sign. Gets us something to talk about. Most certainly, Rex, it actually was quite a busy week. We had an amateur winning. You had Roy winning. You had Lydia Co winning on the LPJ. I know you had her on the show on Monday, moved within one point now of inclusion in the very exclusive LPJ Hall of Fame. You had Travis Kelsey scoring two touchdowns for the Chiefs. But you also had JT popping up. He was in the final group alongside Dunlap and Sam Burns. You had Cam Young, uh, who failed to capitalize yet again uh, and win another PJ Tour or the DP World Tour uh, with a poor final round in Dubai. What else stood out to you miscellaneous-wise from the world of golf in the past week? Well, I do want to touch on JT real quick because he withdrew today's Monday. Uh, he withdrew from this week's event at Toy Pines, and he was able to do that because of his finish at the American Express. Moved him up five spots in the world ranking to 23rd. He's also, I think, third on the Aon Swing 5 list. So he's pretty much guaranteed to get into the next signature events. And this is going to be an ongoing thing until he either wins again or moves high enough in the world ranking. It's not going to be an issue because if he were to, he was 28th. If he were to have fallen out of the top 30, and all of a sudden he's in a precarious spot. Now, Pebble Beach and Riviera, they need to give him sponsor exemptions. Those are going to be limited. We've talked, you know, a lot about that. So it was a good week for him, not just because he was able to, again, knock some rust off, but he was able to put himself in a position that he could take this week off and not worry about getting into Pebble Beach or Riviera. He looks good. J- uh, JT, JT looks good. It, he took It took him a whole one start in 2024 to accomplish something that he didn't even do Rex in 2023. And that was to get a top three finish. His iron play, which had fallen off last year, uh, looked plenty sharp. He, obviously there's still a little bit to clean up the water ball in 11 putting was a mess putting uh, made just one birdie uh, on the, on the outward nine when he could have applied a lot of pressure early on Dunlap. But I think the arrow is pointing back up. It's good to see a mega talent like JT back in good form. But my favorite was Lydia Ko. As you pointed out, we had her on golf today, and she is by far my favorite player to interview on the LPGA Tour just because she, in my opinion, is their version of Rory McIlroy, that there aren't any unspoken thoughts, that if you if you want to kind of dig into a nerve, she's more than willing to sit and talk about it. And our colleague, Bethany Nichols, she did an amazing story last night talking about how last year was kind of a season filled with tears for Lydia. She didn't win after an early season event on the LET in Saudi Arabia. She sort of kind of tied herself into knots trying to figure out why she couldn't put herself back in a position to do this, to get that 20th win. And I kind of pointed out on the show today that that 20 is a magic number. There's a reason why the PGA tour chose to make 20 PGA tour wins. That's when you get your lifetime exemption onto the PGA tour. I think on both circuits, we can agree that man, that you've accomplished something. If you've had a chance to win 20 times, she moves within one point of the LPGA hall of fame, which is baffling to me. That's a whole different conversation. But the, the part that I like, and, and I think it was Damon who pointed out the synergy of this, she can also get one point if she wins an LPGA event or or if she wins the gold medal. And she has finished silver and bronze in the Olympics. And this would be such a fitting way. I, I'm not saying I don't want her to win until we get to Paris later this year, but it would be a cool way for me to spend that week in Paris. It almost seemed, I mean, Lydia Ko, it, it kind of followed that Jordan Speed trajectory where she she went into the wilderness for a couple years and she'd kind of forgotten uh, or at least um, it perhaps thought that the LPJ Hall of Fame was out of reach. But he had, she had such a great season in 2022. Uh, she won the CME uh, Tour Championship. 
Uh, she had the lowest scoring average that all of a sudden it became a possibility. And then, as you mentioned, like just played really poorly. Zero wins uh, in, in 20 starts, only had a handful of top tens, couldn't even defend her title at the LPGA season finale. And so I think it's I think it's incredibly important for a player who has made no secret about the fact that she wants to have a second career. She just got married. She's talked about having a family. She's always talked about retiring early, like to be able to to move now onto the threshold. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939 of immortality uh, on the LPGA uh, I think is a big deal. And it's certainly going to be one of the main storylines to watch for the remainder of the year, especially since you got that in her season debut. Rex, what are you planning to do for the rest of the week in Connecticut? You'll not have your usual tools. You'll not have your usual grills. Like what's the, what's the plan? Does anyone want to hang out with you? Are you going to, are you going to shovel snow? Uh, are you going to go to the gym? What's, what's the plan this week in Connecticut? spend as little time outside as possible i can tell you i flew into white plains and i ran from the terminal to my rental car like i i thought okay i have a jacket on i had a little i had my little beanie cap on i'm good to go watch out for black ice nope hit me in the face slapped me right across the face that was not enjoyable i won't be shoveling any snow uh spending a lot of time probably in the gym hanging out at our place i don't see me venturing outside there's not a lot to do around here so i'm not quite sure well i'm staying in greenwich so you guys are great with your messages, please let me know what I should be doing in Greenwich the rest of the week. Yeah, I'm not sure this will be a message sponsored by the Connecticut Tourism Bureau, uh, but we do appreciate uh, your thoughts. Uh, Rex, uh, thank you for asking about my personal life. Uh, just buttoning up a story from last week's podcast, where I had mentioned somewhat ominously uh, that I was going to get my biometric screening, and that was potentially going to dictate not just my diet and what was going to be on the grill, uh, but also potentially my life. Good news. I'm not dying. Uh, it does not appear to be imminent at least, but there are some lifestyle changes that I need to make in order to get those numbers back down to where they probably should be for a 36-year-old. You called my BMI, quote, embarrassing, uh, right. which was which was hard. That was, that was, that was, that was hard to hear uh, from someone I love, uh, but the total cholesterol numbers were okay, not great. Blood pressure numbers were okay, not great. 
I've learned about some other family history. So medication is certainly in my future. But I think I have a new philosophy where during the week, I want to eat as healthy and as clean as possible. And then on the weekend, I still want to go ham. I still want to hammer beers. I still want to fire up the offset. I still want to eat all the red meat in the world. That's my new plan. Uh, and I would appreciate everyone's thoughts and prayers as I embark on this new plan. T's and P's. No, I was not going to bring it up because I feel like some things we do offline should stay offline. And when you sent me your card of your, your test results, there was so much red on oh, that card. So a lot much. of, a lot of exclamation points. My, my God, my God. It, yeah. it was like your car engine with the head blown up. That's what, that's what it looked like. Or at least when my car engine blows up. Yes. The BMI did not look great. You're right. The cholesterol, uh, it, it was, it was better than I thought it was going to be considering how you sort of let yourself go the last few years. If we're being honest and we're, let, let's have the heart to heart right here in front of all of our fans. Like, you know, there was a time in your life and it wasn't that long ago when you were on a strict diet. I was proud of you. You weren't drinking. You weren't eating red meat. You were you were leading your best life and you have since fallen so, so far. No, sad. It was not, it was not my best life. It was my it was my healthiest life. It was my cleanest life. But to say that that was my best life. No, I, I would wish I, I would wish a vegan diet on no one. Life has has too much to explore. Mm. There are too many delicious foods to be saddled with just eating strictly plant-based foods. Uh, I will not stoop to that level. I can just make some healthier choices during the week. Yeah, potentially a couple more games of pickleball uh, during the week uh, to get uh, my heart beaten as well. Uh, but but no, it was it was somewhat of a wake-up call, but I also was was somewhat heartened. You knew it was that coming. That it wasn't that it wasn't completely out of control. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, well, you knew it was coming. We've had enough conversations about this. And and I will say, and this kind of goes to what we had a, I don't know if you saw it. So we do it like a tree burning, Christmas tree burning. Yeah, we did it on Saturday night before I left to come up here. It's all the, the real Christmas trees from the neighborhood. They all get stacked in my backyard. I'll send you some photos. It's quite a terrifying. Right next to a national forest, folks. Right, right next, next to a national, to national forest. forest. I will say we had not one, not two, but three professional firefighters at our tree burning this year with, with multiple hoses already primed and ready to go. So we know... Very responsible. Very trying to be very responsible. But I will say this. She uh, cooked her soup and whatever she did and other people brought. So I've gotten sort of this chili recipe that I smoke uh, down to a science. And she's like, well, but you have to double because we're having so many people coming over. And I go, double doesn't fit into my smoker. She's like, well, then do it on the stove. And I'm like, that's that's you. you sound, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. No, I do it on the smoker. That's what makes it so good. And so we, it was, it was, a, it was one of those fights that I'm going to hear about for a long time because I, I could not have been more dismissive. I could not have been like, no, you don't understand. Sh stop, stop talking, stop talking right now. You don't get it. Like I can't do this on the stove because if you do it on the stove, that's just chili, and no one really wants chili. You want smoked chili, right? You want smoked chili. You want your clothes to smell like it. Oh, yeah. You want that. You want that charcoal flavor. You want that hickory uh, wafting. Uh, over and around all of the beans that you have in your chili. I'm, I'm with you. I don't cook anything inside, but especially not chili. Once you go smoke chili, folks. Everyone loved it. Everyone back. Look, couldn't have two helpings. Sorry. Wish, you, wish everyone could have had two helpings, but that's what we get. Either that or we're not going to have it at all because I'm not making it on the stove. It should be another good viewing weekend for you guys. If you are sports fans, the Farmers Insurance Open programming note Ends on Saturday evening in prime time, clearing the way completely. Well 
for the NFL Conference Championships on Sunday. As mentioned about 25 minutes ago on this podcast, Rex and I will soon be taping our podcasts on Sunday night for delivery, uh, wherever you get your podcasts on Monday morning, and then doing a sort of preview type podcast on Wednesday afternoon that you guys should be able to get Wednesday evening and Thursday morning to get you primed for that week's PGA Tour action. Uh, look forward to getting some feedback uh, from you guys, whether or not you like that. For the rest of the week, make sure you guys catch Rex uh, co-hosting with Damon Hack. Uh, you got the Farmers. You got uh, LPG, uh, Lydia Ko's Quest for LPGA Immortality. You have Demo Day in the PGA Show going on from Orlando. So plenty to whet your appetite as a fellow Dimplehead. All right. It's going to do it for this edition, Golf Show Podcast with Rex and Lab. You guys do the drill. Make sure you go to NBCSports.com slash golf for all the latest news and notes in the world of golf. We'll be back next week when Rex prepares to hit the road for the first time uh, in 2024. He'll be attending Pebble, but we'll give a full recap of the Farmers. Looking forward to it. Have a great rest of your week. So cold. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.